0: One thing I'd love to just kind of put an exclamation point on is how important it is for us uh, to be able to serve all of the generations of our church, including our little ones. Uh, You know, Scripture, there's so many, the temptation when you're getting ready to teach or preach the Bible is that there's so many things you can say that there's probably more stuff that you're leaving out than you're putting in. One of the things that's being left out today uh, is in verse 39 of our passage, where Peter's talking about how uh, the promises of the gospel are for believers and for their children. Uh, so if you've been here, I'm assuming this is the case in most PCA churches, you know, when we baptize a baby, uh, this passage is one of the go-to passages where we explain why we believe that scripture. I'm not going to go down that road with you today, but, but only to make a connection for you that uh, serving our children is a part uh, of, of how we raise them up uh, and raise up the next generation of followers of Jesus. Uh, so with that said, we've been working our way through the book of Acts. And our reason for doing that is to, uh, to orient our minds around what Jesus wants his church to do. We're looking at what happens in the earliest pages, in the earliest part of the history of the church, Uh, Not because we have this rose-colored view, oh, it was so great, there was struggle, there was division, we're going to get to that stuff in a a couple of weeks, Uh, but because what we see here are some uh, themes that will reverberate throughout the church for the rest of history. Uh, And the second reason is that as you hear me explain what is happening here, you're inevitably going to hear some of the particular emphases and passions that I have, and hopefully that creates opportunities for us to talk together together about what the Lord might have in store for Harbor City as a church. So our passage today is uh, Acts chapter 2, the second part of Acts chapter 2. I'm going to pick back up at verse 14 and read a few verses there. Then we're going to jump down to verse 22. Uh, I invite you to have your Bible open because we're going to jump around in a couple places that aren't in the bulletin. We just couldn't print the entire passage in the bulletin. Uh, I'm going to read down to verse 40. All right, here we go. Uh, Peter stood up with the eleven. So remember, this is right after Pentecost, or this is the day of Pentecost, the Spirit has arrived. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then he gives the prophecy from the book of Joel. Skip down to verse 22 with me. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the, I'm sorry, I'm picking up at verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep him, keep hold on him. David said this about him. I saw the Lord before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm, you will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath on oath that he would would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool at your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured, God has made this Jesus whom you cross-crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We'll stop there. Uh, Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, ask now that you would please uh, be with us as we come to this passage uh, and uh, look together at Peter's sermon and the things that we can learn from Peter's sermon about the conversations we have with one another and with our friends and families uh, around the message of Jesus. Uh, we ask this in His name, Amen. Barna is a group that does uh, research uh, among different Christian uh, ideas and themes, and they, they their uh, interest is pretty wide ranging. A couple years ago, they they started publishing a series of studies and books. Uh, that had to do with the state of the church. And one of those was talking about the state of our spiritual conversations. Uh, so spiritual conversation is any conversation that you and I have where we are talking about the intersection of our faith with the rest of our life. Now, a spiritual conversation can be evangelistic. So it can be a conversation where You are talking to another person and trying to convince them about the claims of Christianity. uh, But it doesn't necessarily have to be an evangelistic conversation. Spiritual conversations is a a broader term. Uh, What the study found, it compared, I think it was early 90s till today. uh, And what the study found is that we are having fewer spiritual conversations today. The church is having fewer spiritual conversations today than it was in the early 90s. And that 62 percent of us are having between zero and five spiritual conversations a year. That's a crazy number, isn't it? Uh, and, and so, what? The, it's a great. Um, the study is really interesting. There's a companion book that was published that I hope to at some point soon dive into with you all as a church called the Reluctant Witness, the Reluctant Witness by Don Everts. Uh, And I was thinking about this book as I was studying this passage, because what we see here is Peter is laying out for us a really simple and easy way to talk about what are the themes that rotate, revolve around the way we talk with one another about our faith. Uh, And what we see here are three. These are not the only three, but what we see here are three uh, characteristics of Spiritual conversations. Now, here's the reality. I'm just kind of—I'm put my cards on the table, right? Last week, we talked about the fact that we're all priests, uh, and and if you weren't here, I invite you to listen to the, the sermon. It was a really short; it was like ten minutes, so you, it's a it's a it's a podcastable, you know, it's a commute-worthy po- uh, sermon. Um, and but what we talked about was that we are all priests, and so if that's true. Right then think about what priests did. And part of what priests did is that they communicated on behalf of God to other people. And so if we're all priests through our faith in Jesus Christ, then that means that we are all called to have spiritual conversations. Now, some of us will be gifted at that in ways that others are not. Uh, And it's easy for us to think that just because we're not gifted at it, then therefore I, I don't have to do it. But that's not the case. We're all called to it. So three things. Spiritual conversations... Uh, welcome people's questions and doubts. And you're going to see on the slide, it says uh, address, but I changed it to the word welcome on purpose and you'll see why. Spiritual conversations welcome people's questions and doubts. Spiritual conversations point people to Jesus and spiritual conversations call us to repentance and faith. All right. So the first thing that we're going to see is that spiritual conversations welcome our questions and doubts. So we went back to the beginning of the passage where where Peter's talking about um, you know hey we're not drunk, uh, and, and what you see is that Peter is addressing two statements that are trying to discredit what is happening. So so this crowd, some people are going to believe, other people are incredulous, right? They're like yeah this is weird, like I'm I don't I don't believe this, uh, and so he's trying to address two of the the ways that the, what they're doing is trying to be discredited. The first is they're trying to discredit the authority, right? So they say in verse 7, uh, these are just a bunch of Galileans. Now, uh, understand, like, the equivalent of that for our day would be to say, these are a bunch of uneducated people from the country. Uh, these are, in, in Puerto Rican Spanish, You could say we have the term jibarro. And the hibaro is, you know, the country bumpkin. It's the person who's from the mountains. Uh, it's the farm worker, right? Uh, but, but it kind of implied in that is they're not always really the educated individual. Uh, and so by saying that these people are Galileans, they're trying to discredit them by saying these, these people aren't educated, right? These are just a bunch of people from Galilee. How many of us have ever felt discredited our own authority by saying, who am I? Who am I? to have this conversation? Who am I to have a spiritual conversation? Who am I to talk about my faith with somebody else? And in effect, what we're doing is we're saying of ourselves, I'm only a Galilean. But notice what Peter does. Peter addresses that by saying, these people have been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Yes, they're Galileans. Yes. But that doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit is now empowering them to be able to speak on his behalf. He said, guys, listen, it's not about how eloquent we are. Our spiritual conversations don't have anything to do with, with whether or not you have a master's degree from a theological seminary or you didn't graduate from high school. The authority doesn't come because of our education, the authority comes because of the Spirit of God speaking in and through us. Amen? All right. So the second thing that they try to do is they try to discredit the validity of their experience, right? They say, you all are drunk. And by doing that, they're saying, what you're experiencing is weird, strange, we're trying to discredit it. How many of us have experienced that? Where, where we share some, something that we've experienced and the response we get back in one way, shape, or form uh, dismisses it or discredits it. I think in our day and age, the way that we experience that more often than not isn't, you know, something as, uh, as, as abrasive as, oh, you're just drunk, right? That's pretty confrontational. Uh, but the way that we often receive that is, oh, that's good for you. You do you, right? And that's just another way of dismissing the validity of our experience. That's fine for you, but I don't really want to go down there. And so we say, you do you, you be you. Uh, And to that, Peter responds in verses 14 and 16. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give uh, ear to my words. These people are not drunk. And then he goes on to say, this is what was uttered by the prophet Joel. What does he do? He appeals to a common source of authority, right? The people listening to him were all Israelites, They were maybe from different, they were from different parts of the world, but they all had one thing in common. They were all Jews. And so they all had appealed to the same authority. And so Peter goes to that source of authority and says, let's look at what Joel said. What they're experiencing is not something weird. This is what we've been waiting for. Now, what strikes me about the way that Peter does this and and kind of what you'll see, what we see throughout the book of Acts is that. Christianity is not scared of people's questions and doubts. If you're here this morning and you have questions, you have doubts, you're not certain about something, Jesus isn't scared by that. In fact, he welcomes those questions. He welcomes those doubts. And and so let's just be honest, right, that you can be a Christian for a really long time and still have questions. I it's an occupational hazard to have these kinds of questions when you're a pastor. Can we just, you know, and try having those questions on a Sunday morning when you have to go up and get a preach in front of a people? Little unsettling. But but here's the reality: we have to be honest that these questions are questions that we have as well. And when we're honest about our own questions, we are in a much better position to welcome the questions that other people have. Don Everts in his book, The Reluctant Witness, uh, makes a really interesting observation. He says, you know, so often we think that what people want when we're having a spiritual conversation is they want a really uh, well thought out answer. Uh, But in fact, the studies that they have done have shown that what people want is not so much a crisp, memorized answer, but rather a space in which they can ask questions that is safe. This is what he says. He says, to give them space to ask their questions and to willingly and honestly and humbly journey with them toward answers. That's not hard to do, right? Because if we're honest about our own questions, we can say, yeah, I've had that question too. This is the answer that helped me. Maybe it will help you. And if not, let's find the answer together that can help you. So spiritual conversations welcome, they don't just address them, they welcome them, say, yes, let's create a space where these questions can be addressed together. Secondly, we see the spiritual conversations point people to Jesus. What happens throughout the bulk of the sermon is that Peter is going back and talking about Jesus, right? Now notice, they're not asking questions about Jesus. They're asking questions about the, what's happening with the Holy, you know, Holy Spirit coming and, and the, these different languages being spoken. And Peter says, great question. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Now, that's not a non sequitur because they're obviously they're related. And what does he do? Verse 22, he starts talking about Jesus's life. And it's just a summary. Like, you guys know what's happened. He says, you know what happened. You've been around. You've heard the stories. Verse 23, he talks about Jesus's death. And what I love is he just, you know, he just drops this bomb that we wrestle with. And he's just like, I'm going to live in the tension. Notice what he says. He says in verse 23, uh, let me look for it here. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. He doesn't try to navigate the human responsibility, divine sovereignty. He's like, no, it's both. Sit in the tension of that. And what I want to focus with us is that God, this was God's plan for the salvation of his people. Carried out by people who sinned against God, but it was God's plan for the salvation of his people. He just He has us sit in the tension, and I am too. The third thing that he does is he points us to the resurrection. You see that in verse 24. And now keep in mind, it's been two months since Jesus rose from the dead at this point. Right? So these people who've traveled from other parts of the world, you got to imagine, right? Something of that level happening in the city. People are still talking about it. It's still going on. so he's addressing it, and this is where he lands in the plane for a little while. right? This is where he begins to say, all right, let's slow down and let's actually spend some time talking about it." And what he does is he goes to Psalm 16. He's like, all right, we quote Psalm 16, where David says, uh, you're not going to let your holy ones see decay. David's, he takes that passage from David. It's like, oh, who's David talking about? David can't be talking about himself. Why not? What does he say? Who's, whose tomb is still with them? David's tomb. So imagine like they actually probably still knew where David's tomb was at that point. Isn't that amazing? Right? David's tomb is right there. So David was obviously not talking about himself. Who was he talking about? He's talking about Messiah. And the resurrection of Jesus is the proof that David was talking about him all along. And then, because he's not done yet, he's on a roll, we get to verse 33, and he starts talking about the exaltation of Jesus. Now, a little pop quiz. So what, after Jesus' resurrection... What had to happen, Jesus told us this had to happen before Holy Spirit could be sent. Does anyone know? Just shout it out. The ascension, Jesus going to heaven. That's right, right? The exaltation is this word that we use, but we often pair it with, um, with, with the word ascension. Do you remember what we said last week? We talked about like the importance of the Apostles' Creed and how the Apostles' Creed Begins to like drive these truths into our heart, right? Every time we say the Apostles' Creed, you know what we say? He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That's the exaltation of Jesus. And so when Peter says he exalted him, and not only did he exalt him, but now that he has been exalted, Holy Spirit has come. What does that mean? Because the Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of Yahweh. And then he throws out this, like, massive claim. He is Lord and Christ. Now, if you've grown up in the church, um, you know, those words are super common, right? You, you, you hear those words all the time, and, and maybe they lose a little bit of their oomph, a little bit of their punch, Right? I remember years ago, I was reading a book by a New Testament scholar, and and he changes the words. He says, King and Messiah. And for me, that was really helpful. Uh, For me, it was really helpful to think of these different words, same word, same, same meaning, but a different word that helps get at what Peter is saying. And what Peter is saying is that Jesus is God. He is God. And he is the one who now has authority because he's been exalted up into heaven. He's the one who has authority now to send Holy Spirit. So spiritual conversations point people to Jesus, right? That's what he's doing. And and if you look at the, it's a really fascinating thing to do sometime. I encourage you to do it. Um, And I think some study Bibles even have this lined out for you if, you if you want to look in a study Bible. But if you look at the sermons in the book of Acts, uh, and you go to the different sermons in the book of Acts, and what you notice is that all of the sermons have certain things in common, and they have distinctiveness as well, right? So in some sermons, like this one, heavy emphasis on the Old Testament, heavy emphasis on the Hebrew Bible. Other sermons... Uh, like Paul in the Aragopagus, the Greek place where the philosophers were. Um, (laughs) uh, You know, heavy emphasis on philosophy, right? Uh, In other places, Paul actually, his main point of sermon, his main kind of emphasis of the sermon is his own personal testimony. It's really fascinating. And, And you know, right, like we're not getting the whole thing. We're only getting a snapshot of it. So we can only assume that the reason that the apostles will tailor their messages, or Stephen, when he's talking to the Ethiopian eunuch, the way that these men and women will alter their message was based on the questions that were being asked. Right? It just stands to reason. Now, of course, what that means is that we have to know the story of Jesus. We talked about this last week, right? In order for me to be able to point people to Jesus, I need to know Jesus. Uh, and, and the reality is that that, uh, you know again, you think of like what we know about the state of Christianity in North America right now is that we are suffering from severe biblical illiteracy. And so how do we respond to that? It's like it's not magic. We go back to Jesus' words, We go back to Scripture. So what I encouraged you last week is to consider, how can you go back, to scripture in ways that maybe will cause you to read it differently than you normally read it. So for example, right? If you always read, you know, X version of the Bible, consider a different version of the Bible to just get a different perspective. I did that this week. I was like, I'm gonna take a dose of my own medicine. So I started reading, um, I started reading uh, from the message. and, And all of a sudden I read something and I was like, like, actually, I actually had to stop my reading and go somewhere else in the New Testament and be like, oh, a I minute! Mean, I never saw this before. And I would tell you what it is, but that would be a long tangent, and I don't want to do that. Uh, or consider reading, uh, consider reading the Bible chronologically, right, where, where you're just getting a different perspective of how these different gospel accounts are woven together and what's happening when and, and hearing the same sermon being recorded in different ways is really a, a fresh way of being able to do that. Okay, so. Spiritual conversations welcome people's questions and doubts. And the reason we can welcome them is because we can be honest about our own questions, right? Jesus is not scared by your questions and your doubts. Uh, When we're having these spiritual conversations, we we want to address the questions that, but ultimately we want to talk about Jesus, right? We want to talk about who he is and what he has done. And so in order for us to be able to do that, we have to know him. And then the last thing that we see in Peter's sermon is that spiritual conversations call us to repentance and faith. Have you ever been gripped by a story? Anybody? Where you just read a story or you watch a movie and you're just, you're in. That few of you? That's really sad. We need to like have a book club or movie nights or something. So years ago, my wife and I watched this movie called The 100-Foot Journey. Has anyone seen The 100-Foot Journey? Oh, watched it again last night with our kids, as good as it was the first time I saw it. So we go to the theater. This is a while ago. We went to the theater to see this movie, The 100-Foot Journey. If you don't know the movie, it's a film about this Indian family that has to leave India, and they end up in France. And they end up in this small French town and they're tours, so they open up a restaurant. But here's the thing, right? They open up a restaurant 100 feet across the street from a French restaurant. But not just any French restaurant, right? A Michelin star restaurant. Now, for those of you that are not like food geeks, right? The Michelin star is like the epitome of food, right? So there's a whole long history about how it starts. But if, if a restaurant is awarded a Michelin star, that is, uh, you know, one of the highest accolades that a restaurant can have. Uh, if a restaurant is awarded two, that is incredible. And to quote a scene from the movie, right, if it gets three, then that chef is a god in the food world. The restaurant across the street has one Michelin star. And so what ends up happening is this like all-out war between them. And it turns into this beautiful story of, of welcome and hospitality and love and compassion. And so we watch this movie. And we walk out of the theater and we're like, oh, we need to go eat something. And so we're living in West Palm Beach, and we went to this little friend, actually, we went to this French restaurant in downtown West Palm Beach, uh, and we had mussels, and we had wine, and we're like, oh, that story was so amazing, but then we had this other friend at our church, uh, Sharon who was as much of a foodie as we are, and so we're like, Sharon, you got to watch this movie. This movie is so amazing. So we end up like talking to her about it. She goes and sees the movie, but we have her over, and we make an Indian meal. Now, why do I tell you that story? That story of that film so gripped our hearts, we had to do something about it right? Simply watching the movie wasn't enough. We watched it last night with our kids. I woke up this morning. I told Kate, we need Indian food today, right? The story is so compelling that simply watching the story isn't enough. That is what repentance is like. You will hear me over the years that we will, work, we will be uh, doing church together. You'll hear me often refer to to uh, repentance as a turning away from sin, as turning away from God and turning towards Jesus. A 180-degree uh, turn. And that is true. That's actually, you know, technically that is what repentance is. Uh, but repentance is what happens when the story of Jesus has gripped our hearts. You see that? When, when, you, when, you're, when we go back to Jesus And we read about him and we see, oh, my gosh, the God of heaven and earth ordained that Jesus would die so that I could be with him. The God of heaven and earth gave Jesus authority to send the Holy Spirit so that God's presence could be with me in the way that in the Old Testament was only known in one physical location, the temple. And now you and I are these little temples running around the city of San Diego, all over the world. Listen, until that captures our hearts and imaginations, we will be, do you all know the uh, the little uh, unkind nickname that we have for Presbyterians? Does anyone know that? The frozen chosen? That's what we'll be. We'll be frozen. Chill. Like, that's not the beauty of the gospel. And so, and so what has to happen, you understand, is that we have to be gripped by that story. Spiritual conversations are not, here, let me give you the answer. I mean, there, there is that, right? I mean, that's a part of it. You have a question, hey, this is, this is what's helped me. Yes, that's true, okay? But at the end of the day, a spiritual conversation is where I get to talk to somebody else about what has gripped my heart. Amen? Please. Amen? Amen. All right. Yeah, good. See, this is, but even that, even that amen is a formative expression of saying, hey, there's something really beautiful and compelling about what it is that we're talking about. And, and let me just say, like, this is the kind of church that, that we've been. This is the kind of church we're going to continue to be. We're going to continue to be, by God's grace, a church that loves Jesus really, really hard and is gripped by the story of the gospel and a church that will be increasingly more and more equipped to be able to share that story by having spiritual conversations. You know, I, like, five times a year is not enough to be having spiritual conversations. And so may we be a church that Jesus is calling us to be a church that is having kinds of conversations that welcome people's doubts and questions that point people to Jesus, whether, and again, whether it's, you know, a stranger that you've never met before or just like it could be you and me having a conversation. And I'm telling, man, I'm really struggling with this. And you say, Omar, let me point you back to Jesus. Because I need that too, right? Welcome questions, point people to Jesus and call people to be gripped by the gospel, which looks like repentance and faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we confess, I confess, that I am not always gripped. I, in fact, I'm often not gripped. Uh, and so, Lord, um, would you grip us today? As we sing, as we are about to eat at your table, uh, would you allow the, the beauty of who Jesus is to capture our hearts and our imaginations again? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.